a Mean and Impley Productions podcast. Watch Chatter. I'm Paul, joined by Vincent Tavani. Hello. And Chuck Savoy. Hi. Uh, Off Watch Chatter is our show where we dive into elements of how tabletop games are played. We have headed uh, below decks. We're off watch from the story of the Grayling. Uh, and we're going to look into different ways that the game is fun, different ways we can make things. This week, we're going to be doing a, what we've started calling a green hour. Um, the exact etymology of that relates to the essentially happy hour that used to be for absinthe. Is that right? Is that where that came from? Yeah, I think so. We had, we bought a bottle of absinthe at the Ren Fair and, and got a story. Got like a whole history while he was talking to us, and we we're like, we should have green hours. Yeah, we should start sitting down and drinking absinthe more with and all the ritual around it. Exactly. What we're here to do today is to talk about encounters, how to make them, what they are, and how to build them. So uh, for those unfamiliar, that moment in D&D when you, you like fight the bandits or you find the bullywugs or break into the goblin camp to like free the hostages, when the actual initiative is rolled and you're going turn by turn fighting them are, are called encounters. They're one of the core pillars of what makes D&D feel like D&D. And we do a lot of them in the D&D that we play, both in the uh, podcast and in our home games. They take a really different kind of prep and a different way of thinking about writing than other sorts of storytelling. And for me, for all of us, it was something that felt kind of mysterious about how to do it, how to prep it. In blending dialect and D&D, we thought one good way to do it, which we get pretty good at in the third arc, is uh, rotating DMs uh, in order to take control of the story after each, as a way of, of presenting word encounters. Um where the the role playing of a to, of a word is actually some sort of encounter, whether it's social or combat, and uh, we recognize that to do that well, we needed to really hone our skills as DMs, especially improv like improvising these scenarios uh, in ways that made sense. And so we started thinking about what sort of skills does a DM need in order to to improvise something like that. Um, Designing combats, uh, creating creating stakes, being able to understand how the mechanics of a scene or of a, an encounter to help tell story, and so we wanted to get good at that and created this idea of monster camp, where we would basically send our players to a camp and uh, have them fight monsters, and uh, just to see what the you know what the what the fallout of of using a certain type of uh, terrain or monster or mechanic would have in how that felt. So we're going to talk about what encounters are, how we make them fun, and talk through some possible options for ones we might make uh, here in this Off-Watch Chatter. So thank you both so much for coming to coming to this uh, pre-green hour, as it were, pre-gaming. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to start off real quick before we get into our what monsters we've brought. Um, what's the coolest encounter you've played uh, somewhat recently or maybe ever if if one comes to mind is like the coolest encounter you've ever been in in joseph's seafaring campaign we had this super cool encounter where this um i don't know if she's the i don't know if she's the bbeg of the campaign or not um because i had to step away from my real life boat job uh, i had to leave my boat job playing D D for my real life boat job um but we had this encounter with this witch who uh, it was very clear we weren't supposed to fight. And uh, in that way that happens so often, things just kind of popped off. Someone got a little, you know, a little twitchy on the trigger and uh, things, things commenced. And it was a super memorable because we were incredibly outclassed. Um, I think even as it is like in that campaign, my character was a few levels higher because they were supposed to be kind of like a mentor figure there to be in the beginning and then like get people up to speed and go away. So it was me and a bunch of, uh, I think I was level eight maybe. And everyone else was four or five. I'm not quite sure. And we just immediately start getting destroyed. Like, like she turns around and points a finger and it's like, somebody is down. Somebody full, a character full died because they took their hit point maximum, in negative damage Jeez. like yeah it was like pretty low and then got like hit by this explosion and was just straight up killed and it was just a a re very memorable encounter in how like that singular opponent uh 
just through their regular like uh stat block abilities was just just absolutely dominated the whole field because we talk a lot about action economy and how you know there were four or five players in that campaign and we in, in a lot of cases i know we get pretty frustrated when it's like oh i've i've got this thing and it feels pretty tough and then your players just wipe the floor with what you thought was going to be hard encounter and so it was really cool to be in a counter in an encounter that was truly unwinnable and then at the end of it my character got kidnapped um and taken away to her you know sea hag lair at which point there was another like very memorable encounter that was a a Coliseum-esque like pit fight between my character and a were shark. Cool. Those, that, those stakes of like full death are like very scary, but then also like being kidnapped at the end of it. Like, and yeah, that the sort of like frightening, the, Oh, I'm, I'm a powerful character and I'm not powerful is, is such a, such a powerful, um, reversal. Yeah. And he fortune. did a, a great job pulling at the emotional stakes of like, I am this cruise captain my character was the the crew's captain and one of the, one of my crew members was like, I'm going to go with you. Like I'm going to, you know, be in this, um, was it an, an invulnerable sphere? It was like a like, globe of invulnerability or yeah, something. Or like yeah. Like Odaluk's resilience oh, sphere or something okay, that okay. we got like kind of bubbled into and taken away. And I was like, you're an echo knight, dude. Like you should get out of here. Like wherever I'm going is not good. Yeah. Um, and he's like, but you're my captain and I have this like deep seated desire, like, like ingrained thing of like needing to protect you. And I'm like, nope, like, I know this is emotionally difficult, but you need to stay here so you can like yeah. rally the group and come get me. Cause where I'm going, there's maybe no coming back from. Totally. Oof. <sighs> yeah. Um, how about you, Vincent? What are some memorable encounters that you've been in? One one thing that that does come to mind that I really enjoyed was uh, we in one of our in one of our I guess uh, green hours we we were looking at terrain and we drew up a little map mm-hmm. and I I really enjoyed playing with uh, with some of the elements of the terrain. I think there were a lot of columns and there was a a, a little ditch in the middle uh, that made that had characters needing, needing to like gave them cover could made some really for, for some really interesting lines for ranged weapons and, uh, and also jump across something and being able to create, um, and create, you created a story that made sense in three different beats all in the same space. And I, I really enjoyed that the way the stakes felt like they changed every time, uh, like in, in every beat, um, what, what it was apparent, what, what it felt like we were trying to do. So it kept the space feeling interesting and different depending on which, which thing we're trying to do. If we're trying to get across the space, if we're trying to protect something. Um, and I really, I, I really enjoy counting out squares, figuring out if I can get to a spot or if I can like hit an enemy, that's, that's part of the game that I really enjoy. Um, and, uh, and I think I think the most the most fun part of it was that we I, I I saw from from inception to play out the uh this this encounter come together and how re, how how interesting it felt to be in that space. Buck, did you have something to say? <laughs> Taken away is we have a dog with us as well. He's not on mic. Um, we, no, oh god, everything falls over as Vincent right. tries to bring the mic. I've taken away his squeaky toy, and so he's going to squeak himself. Um, counting out squares and terrain is such a is such a I think it's a big part of how the texture of it all comes together, right? Like it feels real and important because you're either there or you're not, or you can get cover or you can't, right? It's it's very fun and really important, and not as something we always get to play with on the podcast because it's to be shared over audio, um, but is is just really fun. Yeah, it's it's also interesting to think about which which encounters like what is it that I like about playing Deaton? And I feel like there are times that I feel like I'm just sitting, I'm just sitting waiting for a, uh, from, for my plan to actually work and the hits just aren't coming. It's like, all right, well, I guess we'll try something else. Uh And, and maybe I have to get better at like integrating that into the story. So it still feels valuable. Nope. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. The squeak's going to, whether or not you can hear him squeaking, he's squeaking. 
we're uh, insert uh, five minutes later music. Five minutes later. Actually, five five whole minutes. Yeah. So with this, with this, uh, I guess looking into this green hour. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking about how monsters interact and explore what sort of story might come out of interesting interactions between monsters and uh, and just talking about what, what things might be possible. And then we'll pick one and we will play it out. Um, drinking absinthe. With all that preamble aside, let's uh, let's share the monsters that we've got here. We've brought some monsters. Uh, I've instructed everyone to bring just monsters, and then we're going to talk as a group about their possible combinations. I think I technically have a giant. A giant? That, That's great. Very exciting. It's not a monster, though. Is it, are they a creature? They're a humanoid? Okay, quick little footnote here. It, there are <laughs> things in the monster manual that are not monsters, right? They, they, D&D is a game about fighting monsters, but it's like they're not all monsters. There's also lots of humanoids that usually the games are against, right? Yeah, that's right. The, I think because monster has two different levels of meaning. One is just the, the combatant. Yeah, exactly. The challenge. Yeah. You just call it the monster. Yeah, the thing. So... I'm excited to see your giant. How about we how about we go with you first? Oh, oh, shouldn't have opened my mouth. <laughs> That's right, sucker. Um, so my classic strategy for Monster Camp and Green Hours has been to flip through Kobold Press. Uh shout out to those guys. You're you're pretty partial to their first Tome of Beasts. Yeah, and and to find interesting sounding monsters and then look at what they are um and see if I can string a couple of them together. Um, which worked out really well for a uh, green hour we did where it was a wizard's like tree fort layer that had um it's like an ink monster and like a couple like mimics that are puddles that grab your boots anyway um right i forgot about this they're all kobold press monsters so i found this death butterfly swarm nice <laughs> um what a cool name which is just a bunch of metal butterflies it's a large swarm of tiny beasts um so classic swarm resistances of bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing. Um, but they're poisonous, which I think is really interesting. And they reduce a creature's speed um, to half if they fail a deck save by just kind of like all landing on them and weighing them down. Um, oh, cool. And so I found those and I was like, that's interesting. Like, you know, imagining these kind of like rainforest death butterflies and I was like, okay, but what goes with, you know, what goes in forests? And conveniently, there's a forest marauder, um, which is a very tribal looking, uh, small diminutive form of giant, um, another large size creature mechanically, um, sometimes work in packs, sometimes not, um, very shy from like society because they've been, you know, kind of almost exterminated. So, my my thought with the two of these, um, interestingly, because you don't get, according to the Cobalt Press uh, Tome of Beasts, you get death butterfly swarms when this uh, rare breed of carrion-eating butterflies eat an undead creature. Oh, interesting. So thematically, to tie these together, um, I'm imagining some kind of like bounty hunting like you've yeah. been you've been hired to go rid the area of some undead creature that maybe stumbled out of a tomb in the forest okay um and in your process of hunting it down you know it either ran into this forest marauder first and got wiped out which is how the death butterflies got formed uh-huh. or vice versa but in, invariably you run into the death butterflies first okay uh, on the corpse of this undead thing you've been hunted to track down and then kind of on your way back you've stumbled into this forest marauders territory okay and then cool. have to either escape from them or put them down before they wipe you out and do you imagine the like you're running away from the death butterfly swarm and run into the forest marauders like camp is that sort of the way you're imagining it i yeah either that or kind of like as you're dealing with them the commotion of it might draw the forest marauder who's like out foraging or hunting yeah to like investigate i like that one a lot too because I, the mechanic the interaction the mechanics would be really interesting where you're running you, like you you you're trying to get away from the forest marauder but the butterflies are weighing you down yeah and that would be so so having those two things happen at once we're like oh butterflies weird i mean you sort of start to fight them you get figure out what the mechanic is and then this thing comes out and is like 
and it all clicks at once. This is the thing that killed that. Also, now we have to get away from it, and we can't because of these butterflies. Buck also wants to get away from the fact that he can't have a squeaky toy. You know, this would be a great green hour thing where every time he squeaks, we have to take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, I Yeah, I also think... Um, the the terrain also provides some interesting situations, right? Like, cause it's a ju- it's like a jungle, right? You're saying sort of jungle like. Yeah, that's that's what I imagine. Yeah. Cause I don't I don't think of uh, butterflies in like deciduous forests. So yeah. I'm imagining some kind of like tropic, thick undergrowth. Yeah, yeah. It feels like there's like even even though working we're working without a battle map, there could be something where like you're I don't know how to determine it if you're in difficult terrain or not, but there's like, there's like so many different things that could present difficult terrain in a forest. It's like start of your turn, roll a deck save to see if you're what, you know, or whatever. It might be that there's a survival check Ah, at the beginning. And if you succeed the survival check, then you can pick your way. That's not difficult. Or just each turn, each turn you make a survival check. Yeah, 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 totally. That could be interesting. Yeah. Which would really suck to have the iron butterflies and to (laughs) fail a survival check. Yeah. Or something like you could use your action to succeed the survival check just so you can get through yeah. uh, easily. So if you're like weighed down, you're like, I'm not going to take any of your actions. I'm just going to focus on picking my way through the forest. Yeah, yeah. that's a cool. I, I like that. That's a cool, uh, cool mechanic. Yeah. I also wonder if it could be something where maybe the marauder takes the body that you need. Oh, yeah. To kind of like prove that and you've so, yeah, done the so, job. So you have to chase the marauder, but you're getting attacked by the butterflies. And then by the time you get through the butterfly swarm, then you finally can fight the marauder. Yeah. And then maybe there could be other things of like layer actions of like other marauders as you're just running by throw javelins at you or, so, you know, like uh, yeah. there, there could be other sorts of like there's, or there's tra- you find traps or something like right, that. There's also a through. bunch of, you know, again, shout out to Cobalt Press. Um, one of the other things I was considering instead of maybe the forest marauder was just giant ants because <laughs> they're like four foot tall and weigh 400 pounds oh, that's horrifying um or there's a there's the arboreal grappler which is like a horrific orangutan looking thing with super long arms Ugh. or the uh a sanbasam which is like a kind of a bugbear looking thing with these long legs with horrible uh talons that they like sit up in the tree branches and just like grip you up by their long taloned legs and like snatch you up into the canopy. Ugh, don't like it. Those are all very interesting. Um, although there is a, there's a bit about giant ants in one of the non D and D books that I own where it's like, they're kind of the worst cause they're just mindless there to kill you there. To, you know, like there's no, yeah. Well, you, <laughs> you could very conceivably run into, uh, the giant ants who have, you know, they're there to pick up this undead thing because they're like, it's meat. It's meat. Yeah. And you know, something bad will happen if they eat it. Cause something bad happened to the butterflies. There's another cool, this might be a little too much, but there's one called the gloom flower, which, which happens, oh, which, yeah. which occurs when somewhere that a traveler dies. And it's like this like flower that always has blur and just has these psychic attacks. Oh, cool. Um, that's I think pretty neat too. Yeah. That might be a creature codex. I think that's it. it. Is. Yeah, so codex. I think it's Creature Codex. We're really plugging Cobalt Press hard. <laughs> They're great. Um, cool. So I think I think that would sound great. How many, like, what sort of, um, what would be, like, the? Ch- how would you, like, balance it for how many, because we're going to have two players, like, what would be the sort of levers you'd pull to, like, raise or lower the difficulty? Yeah. Um, yeah, Death Butterfly Swarm is at a uh, challenge rating four. Okay. And the mint, what's the? Uh, Forest Marauder is... Also four. So together, especially with difficult terrain, if right, there's and all a, that other stuff. There's yeah. also like a, it's nice that there's a there's a there's a task other than just yeah. killing them. Like you have to get the body, right? right? Um, yeah, I mean, you could do just one of away. each, and then um, have players at like fifth level or something. Yeah, yeah something. Like that. And so like they're technically stronger than them, but they're not really there to kill them, and they're also spending a lot of time just running, so they're losing some action economy or something like right. that. Right, and I I don't think the I don't think I'd have the forest marauder fight to the death. Like I think I'd probably uh, okay. have them fight to like, you know, a third or a quarter of their hit points. And the then, good lever, yeah. You know, get out of there because they're not they're not invested in it. They're just kind of like that's also an easy you know, one. Startled that, that, that if there. it's too easy, you can just throw in a couple more. Forest Marauders too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Or, so, or make like a forest marauder commoner or something that's like that's there just you know like they're they don't have as they don't hit as hard they don't have as many hit points or there something. are also other solutions to it than combat too if they're like like because it's because they're already dead it's mostly like well, what are you doing on our turf like it's not like a so so it's like four to six really as far as you could, you could, player level yeah you could scale you could scale the number of yeah marauders relatively easily I'm just going to also say this while we're talking about it. I don't like swarm mechanics. I think they are used way too often just to solve the problem of like, there are a lot of them. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of characters have interesting things that happen to multiple enemies that are very unsatisfying when it's like, Oh yeah, it's just a swarm. Like, I mean, a butterfly swarm is an actual swarm, but I feel like so oftentimes mechanics like we'll be like, yeah, there's a lot, but it's a, it functions as a swarm. And it's like, okay, well, it's just one, and that totally changes all the mechanics of like of cool stuff that happens when you when you want to like blast a bunch of things or like you have a um. What, so you'd whatever. rather fight thirty rats than than one swarm of rats? Yes, I'd rather fight <laughs> one one horse sized one rat sized horse. No, one horse sized swarm of rats <laughs> than one. No, I think that's but you're not, but you're, you're, aren't you saying the opposite? And what don't you, wouldn't you rather fight a hundred ducks? Than, yes. Yes, that's right. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah. Or a hundred duck sized horses. horses. That's the one. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. We got there, folks. We got there. Ooh, that was a battle. All right. Now I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the horse sized duck because of the action economy. Uh, good point. Good point. I think there are ways to reward, like, if you, if someone has, you know, like things like hypnot. Swarms are swarms are like immune to things because they're a swarm, right? Like they can't be charmed, yeah, right? Exactly. This is sort of what you're pointing at. And I think there are ways to be like, okay, well, let's say that it like takes away some of their hit die as some of them fall away or something like that, right? Like I think you can you can try to reward those if it's important. I think it's also important at some point to have levers to resist so that players can't just like solve stuff with a slot. I think that's part of why swarms are I like think, that. I think it's also like, cause sleep doesn't work against swarms, which is annoying to me. All right. We don't need to keep talking. About we this. don't need to keep There's literally about an actual swarm and then things that are definitely not swarms. Yeah. Cool. Cool. That's a great, that's a great, that's a great combo. Super simple. That really tells a good story. This episode of La Propos is brought to you by Smacked Whale Designs, a small business in the Phoenixville area. Smacked Whale makes pressed flower art, including cards, candles, arrangements, and more. Katie, who created and runs Smacked Whale Designs, creates beautiful, natural pieces that are just the right thing to give as a gift or to liven up your home. Follow her at Smacked Whale Designs, link in the description, and message her directly about her cards and more. Mention La Propos in your message and you'll get a free candle with your order for a limited time. Thank you so much for supporting the show, Smacked Whale Designs. And let's get back in to the episode. How about you, Vincent? What are you thinking about? So I found this, uh, this creature called a boggle from uh, Monsters of the Multiverse. It's a little uh described as the bogeys of fairy tales they're like the like a things that lurk in under beds and in closets and isn't that the thing in the closet in harry potter i think that's a bogart yes you're right or boggart um and uh but it seems really it seems sort of similar to that although boggart they're almost like mimics right yeah because they take on the appearance of what you fear most yeah which uh which i was also sort of thinking of combining with a mimic because the thing that makes a boggle interesting is that they have these um two interesting features one is that they one is that they have this oily excretion that can either be sticky or slippery and that they can use to grapple or cause people to slip and they can basically create little dimension doors that only they can use so they can like reach out from places they aren't um so they're very like poltergeisty uh, like pranksters tricksters that live on the edge of feywild um or uh and and the material plane so they also they also seem to be they say that they are often unintentionally conjured through loneliness um Mm. 
And so that was the, that was the story beat that, that inspired me to think that it'd be interesting to, for it to be in some sort of like abandoned, uh, like the old childhood room of a, of a wizard that is, you know, scared to go back now and need, but needs you to get something from it. And then that there, that there, um, that there, the oil function would allow you to get like slip towards or stuck to, uh, to the, the floor and something else would then have an easier chance of getting at you. So I did think it'd be interesting to combine it with, with a mimic or conversely with something else that is also interested in getting at the same sort of secret that you're sent to find or something along those lines. But I, I think most simply it would be like, there's a mimic and there's boggles and they, it, they sort of work together that you can't get away. Although uh, mimics sort of work the same way that these like tricksters monster under the bed type thing. So it might be a little too much, but I, but I specifically like this, uh, they're, they're relatively low level. They're like, um, an eighth, uh, and they're not necessarily evil. Um, so they could, they, if you know Sylvan, you could talk to him, I guess. But so, yeah, so something that could, that would pair well with something that you definitely want to try to get out of the way of. And these are preventing you from being able to do that easily. Right. So you imagine the sort of hook being like you've been sent to like clear out something that's wrong with this childhood home or something like that. Or something like, uh, so the story would be something like, uh, there's this, there's this, um, prodigy wizard who's graduating from some program, some apprenticeship. And, uh, he wants you to go, uh, go to this, like his troubled childhood home that he's, that he's left, uh, and get something from it. And he's still young enough to be afraid of like certain childhood monster things. And, uh, also, what is his like three d six gonna do against a, a boggle? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so you go back and uh, and so you're not quite sure what's going on. And there are these like little prankster uh, fey things that are mostly head and arms that are running around causing trouble and some other thing that makes it difficult to like retrieve the sentimental object or maybe something actually magical that were that was there. Um, so it would, it would be something that feel relatively low stakes. Um, yeah. but because I, I, I sort of like, I sort of like these little creatures to be honest. They're fun. Boggles are fun. They're fun little guys. Um, so let me read the interesting element of it. Please. Um, they have as an action, they can create a, a puddle of oil that is either slippery or sticky. The one in steep covers the ground in the boggle space. The pool is difficult terrain for all creatures and lasts for an hour. Uh, it can then. Um, if, if it is slippery, then it, there's a dexterity saving throw or fall prone. If it's sticky, then it's restrained. Um, and they're relatively low checks to, to get out. They, it can also have, uh, advantage on, uh, checks to either end grapples or to grapple, um, from extreating itself. And, um, and so I imagine with a group of those, like it would be hard to the movement, like I guess the, the, the movement around a space, especially if we're relatively small would be very difficult. Um, and if there was something else going on, that would be, might be really hard to like, like you'd have to be spend be spending a lot of actions either or movement to either get up or to free yourself from being restrained or grappled. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. 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 So the question is what, like, like you know, having, what what would thematically be another thing that would be in this like in this uh in this space mm-hmm. um a familiar or something that you're trying to save maybe yeah that's a good idea i don't know how you would thematically get them there but i kept thinking about gelatinous cubes yeah i was thinking that too yeah it's like uh it's you know like how people keep like um roombas well they're dungeon roombas <laughs> they're dungeon roombas interesting i was, i <laughs> i was going for like you know like the like the tank yeah. in the corner for like fish or something You've got like a disposal or I guess is sort of, is yeah, that you, can, you can have like a baby gelatinous cube. I have like corner. also some like overgrown plant that like it had shambling mound. Yeah. Something like that. Like, oh, a, yeah? like an Audrey two situation that like had overgrown since he hasn't lived there in so long. Oh, or, or just like a couple of, um, these are also very low level. Um, those little stick, what are they? Um, 
It's little stick things, stick blights, twig yeah. blights. I guess specifically it's like, okay, so the boggles on themselves are not that, it's a very similar situation to the death butterfly swarm. Yeah. Whereas like on in themselves are not that big of the, I guess they sort of are their challenge for, but, mm-hmm. but that like then with just because they're a swarm and yeah. have resistances and just like having, having something else that's like can take advantage of this slippery or sticky situation yeah. um, would, yeah, I think the gel as cube would, would be really great. Um, re- really any, any sort of other monster. Yeah. That, it seems like because, that. because it's about getting them stuck that it does, it does seem like the scariest thing is like an ooze that's like moving towards them or something. Yeah. That otherwise it wouldn't be that big of a deal Yeah, because they, you can just move out of the way. Yeah. Okay. Cool. It also feels like it'd be interesting because it'd probably be a small room that you're in. Yeah. So like you're you're you don't have a lot of options for like how to get away. Like yeah, most exactly. of the floor would be covered in the oil. Yeah. Maybe maybe something along the lines of like like a book, like the magic book itself oh, is yeah. like animated, like an animated object stat yeah, block essentially. Like yeah. Yeah. Uh, paper golem. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's that's another, nice. I mean that's another cobalt press monster, but okay. All right. Um, any other sort of like thoughts about the terrain of the room? Like, are, do you want to involve like getting up on the bed or like getting like the boggles under the bed or like, like how else would you maybe play around with um, what's in the room? What do you think? Um, I was thinking that because of the, because their dimensional rift, I, uh, um, feature requires some sort of opening that becomes the, becomes the door. Um, I think they just sort of reach their hands yeah. through things. It's like would so it would be interesting for it to have to be in like a almost focus more like the entryways. Like you sort of have to figure out the right entryway, and they keep popping through in in different places. So okay. so maybe a hallway. But yeah, I almost if we're doing theater of the mind, it almost be better for it to not be mechanically important. What okay. is actually in it. Otherwise it would get really hard for it to be small and there'd be a lot of objects you can interact with. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I would probably say it's like a, you know, two by three space and there are three boggles, which means that, uh, three. So there are th- at any given point, there are three different, um, slippery puddle things <laughs> oh no that can it can do it as an action every time oh, man. well as an action it can change this. no as an action it just is there and lasts oh, for an hour gotcha and then as a bonus action it can on itself have advantage or on oh, either interesting uh on some okay. sort of grapple check okay yeah so that could be so, fun wow it is non-flammable oil so there you go oh good okay so won't burn so, it down. That's so uh, I guess I didn't do my homework well enough, but there's one half of the equation. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I, I think I think there's definitely something to work with there. Super cool. I think it'd be fun to, um, yeah, I think if it's fun to play with like um, other, because the idea is that these things have sort of moved in in absence, right? So like, I think that's a fun thing to play with, like what other things have sort of like moved in. Obviously you think of like spiders or, um, but there's a similar like restrainment mechanics. Exactly. Um, could go with like the snails or the flail snail or something. Um, that's at much higher. CR. I mean, I was also thinking that, that it would be interesting as a, something that existed because this was some like poor lonely wizard child. Yeah. Uh, like a shadow or and, a, yeah. A yeah. Or and then, and then there was this room that he, that has basically he's left and has been untouched in like some, you know, he was like a foster child in some like mm. sprawling mansion and like in Ooh. this, in this one room that has laid untouched all this, like, like all this unintentional magic has then like gotten bigger and more serious and you have to go back and like, and okay. well, ooh, that's another thought. Like his little magic has like sort of decayed or corrupted over time. Maybe he's got like dolls that he used to animate to talk to. And now they're like those scary ones that grapple you and give you psychic damage and such. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like some nightmarish childhood toys. Any other environmental effects besides the oil? Do you think? Like, uh, is there a light problem because it's in a in this abandoned old house? Is the light hard to see? Is it is it dim light or? I have dark vision. <laughs> but you <laughs> but you've been sent to find a red swath. Of yeah. Oh no! I think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I, you you know one thing that might be interesting too to play with like the sort of dimensionality of it that 
if you get if you get caught by say these animated dolls or something like that then then you get pulled into this like imaginary space that is then has like other has other dangers or something and so so is there, there's the element of like needing to you could run that like um you could be a real other space or it could just be like essentially the like the phantasmal force or whatever the bigger one is mm-hmm. that you see what you're afraid of. So you create a cool RP situation of like, what's your character afraid of? I, I'm, I'm less interested in that just because it becomes because it's it's then it's it, it becomes more about the characters and less about like this, the, like explore learning more about the space sure. and like the these like the 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 secrets of this like other, you know, wizard and why like why is he a prodigy or progeny prodigy prodigy progeny yeah <laughs> uh nothing's wrong with my knee <laughs> whose progeny is he <laughs> yes that's right <laughs> why why has his knee been prodded so much i don't know so uh so for the for like the like the the story beat having mm-hmm. having the avoidance be be get caught by it and then be in this like alternate universe that might have another like the, like this this corrupted imagination of a of a powerful child yeah yeah whatever it is that he was afraid of or something so like it's like oh it's a it's a giant snake because he yeah. was always scared of snakes and you are you seem very small and big grasses or something like that yeah 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 and i'm also thinking like what would work well with what would work, what would be especially colorful? I think, I think you're right that as a role playing moment, having them choose, choose to say what they're afraid of is always interesting. Um, I also think it would work well where then like you, like there's a, there's a strong stake that doesn't require like clear, like you don't have to have like terrain squares, um, where you're like, if you get caught, then you like jump into the other thing, which is just like another level of danger. You just have to get back across this imaginary border somehow and they're like that's a clear stake what did you bring paul i well i'll talk about the the first one um i have a second one if we're not excited about this and i have two others like <laughs> i got too many okay um i have alamia which is a uh, a snake woman who can also disguise themselves as just a normal human a swarm of poisonous snakes <laughs> and a noble bind this is, uh, one, this is one encounter. This is one encounter. These three. Um, my initial thoughts as I was looking at these was something along the lines of like the noble has been before you begin the encounter already like wooed and um, the Lamia can actually cast Gaos once per day. So I imagine it has been both charmed and Gaos by this Lamia. Um, and the players are brought in to like free him free this noble from the snake's control maybe there's like an old man in the village who's like i have a scroll of dispel magic and i'll show i'll show him what he really looks like um and that kicks off combat and she can like summon snakes and stuff but the noble is still gonna fight alongside of her because he has to or else he takes 5d10 psychic damage from breaking his gas so and you want to you want to try to save him if possible but how to do it exactly and nice. how to deal with the lamia. That's a cool uh, and I was imagining it like this, the the reason that it's like we need to use this scroll of dispel magic now is it's like at a wedding banquet that like they've thrown together a wedding and they've had a wedding. And this old man is like, there's no way she's a witch of some kind. I know it. We're going to reveal her and then uh, reveals her to be this lamia and combat ensues. That's a great idea. I say, well, and 5d10 will kill the noble, won't it? 100%. <laughs> I mean, you could roll really, really bad. He's got nine hit points. It'll kill him. <laughs> so, so those, those would be the, like the various levers that you're trying to save him, but you've got this Lamia that you're also trying to deal with. Um, and to see if you could save him or not. You know, you want to roll five to 10 and see what you get. Um, <laughs> yep. It's already, it's impossible. See if it full kills him. Cause he's, if you get nine more. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, that was 18. Yep. So anyway, um, that felt interesting to me as a, as an option. Um, there, I think like in terms of the space, you know, you have a banquet, like a, a room full of tables and chairs and stuff. So you can be like either using the, the terrain for that or like have it like it's difficult terrain to like get up 
on the table unless you like athletics check run across the table sort of options um thinking about whether i don't know what other things there might be in the room um but the the interesting thing about the lamia is that a lot of her abilities are like that she can charm people and that she can like uh, give them disadvantage on their wisdom saves so i was also wondering if there should be something that like targets wisdom saves as part of this encounter like so because she if she hits with her Intox intoxicating touch. It's uh the target is magically cursed for one hour. Until the curse ends, the target has disadvantage on wisdom saving throws and all ability checks, which is obviously designed to go with the Gaius, because that has a wisdom saving throw. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not so much interested in like gaiusing the players as much as I am at like that being a, a situation. So. Well, you could have the first you could have two stages to the combat where one you have to figure out which one of the guests is mm. this person. And so you have like three different options and the players can like choose which one to go to. And there are certain like insight checks and depending on how they interact with the person, how they let the person interact or she might be able to touch them or like joking or whatever. There's some element and there's like, they know they have this many, this many rounds before the, I don't know, like the dancing starts or the coronation or whatever it is that, that then at that point it's going to be revealed because she's going to try to, she's going to make her move. And so if you can get it before that, it's still, it still just, you know, starts the combat maybe with a certain advantage. Um, but, uh, but they have to be doing these like wisdom, these inside checks or something like that. Gotcha. That you could have been cursing them to have disadvantage. Yeah. And then it also does, it, it has the rec- the reveal moment too. Mm-hmm. Really well, with the, the giving them, giving somebody disadvantage on their inside checks, they would know that they had talked to the right one or touched the right one. No, that's not how that, I mean, you'd have to figure out a way to, as a DM that they don't know. Right. Just add five to all their checks, I guess, is that sort of the approximate, but yes, I, yeah, I well, could I mean, do that. They, they know you just have all roles with a disadvantage. Exactly. Like, oh. They know the Lamy is there, so they would just have disadvantage until they figure it out or she gets distracted. Or, or you just have them roll disadvantage, tell, say both, and you don't tell them whether or not it, it worked or not, like yeah. if it was a disadvantage or not. Yeah. Oh, also, it is all ability checks. I didn't see that. Oh. Ooh. It's wisdom wisdom saving throws this and all ability checks. It's her. It's one of her attacks, her uh, intoxicating touch. Oh, she's to touch them. She does have to touch them. She only has, this is another problem with her, she only has melee attacks I, she has a dagger that she could throw does she have to like continuously be touching them nope. or is it as for long as she's... for one hour you get cursed for an hour oh super easy everyone comes in and like shakes hands, shakes hands. yeah oh, or, yeah, no, or yeah. the yeah or the dancing like everyone's danced yeah. that's been the first round yeah and everyone's been a circle and then someone comes up like listen we need we need to solve this problem and you're like oh no oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean is the party even believe the like crazy town elder who's that's like, right right yeah yeah that's you true know, that's or true. not crazy but it, oh my god yeah and what it's are they the noble's mom right she's yeah. like i don't trust her she's stealing my son yeah oh yeah she's stealing my son away from me you can't take my boy yeah. don't take my boy <laughs> Yeah, something yeah, something like that. So that's um that's that. It it is a it is fully inspired by the poem by Keats called Lamia. So there is that. Um that was one idea. Uh the other idea was uh Keats is writing about half snake ladies. Yeah. And kind of a tragedy too. He's sort of on the Lamia side. Dude's weird. Super weird. Um the other one is a little bit more straightforward where there's you're into a, what you're into. <laughs> that's what you're into. Um I have a the classic stat block of a Gorgon, which is like a, um, like Fake a lady, n- it, not that Gorgon. <laughs> this is a bull actually. Um, it's like a, a monstrosity sort of like stone bull that has like a trampling charge and a petrifying breath and a cult fanatic who has like summoned it with sort of like those two things. And so you'd be dealing with the Gorgon, like charging you and trying to hit you with stuff. And the cult fanatic can be further away, like hitting you with cantrips or um, Classic. spiritual weapons sort yeah. of situation. I also thought it could be interesting if the cult fanatic was mounted on the Gorgon, like he was riding it. And that's just, pretty cool. So he like gets out of your reach of stuff and is like, you know, and so you're but trying to also if you can, if you can man, like you'd have to figure out how to, that's actually really interesting because you'd have to figure out how to hit the, the cult fanatic while the Gorgon is nearby. That's mm. a really interesting combo. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because it's it, because it really decreases the need to, to say where people are in relation to each other. Cause you're either near the Gorgon, you're not. 
And if you're, if you, if you're not, it doesn't matter. You can't hit anything. If you are, then you can like try to hit both. Or it's like, so that, yeah, that's a really cool mechanic, especially for theater of the mind. Yeah. I like that one. The other thing I really like about that is you can put, um, I mean, I guess you can put it like a clock on both of these, but the, like the Gorgon and the cult fanatic, you know, similarly, it can be one of those things where it's like you have 10 rounds before they escape out of the temple and go, I don't, I don't know. Wreck shit. Right. Like I'm like, go do, I don't know, but like, you know, they needed to be summoned in this location and then they're going to, mm-hmm. they're going to second location for cult purposes. Right, 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 right. So you either have to like, you know, and then similarly, you don't have to physically, you don't have to necessarily um, kill them. You just have to slow them down. Yeah. Maybe. Well, I wonder what you play with in terms of like, is the ritual, is the cult fanatics control of it permanent or is it maintaining concentration on a spell? And if you hit it, then the Gorgon is also hostile to the cult fanatic. Oh yeah. Like now or if you just like destroy a certain summon part of the summoning circle or something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. So there could be like also some sort of ability check situation of like, if you can, it, it, if we can destroy this circle, the Gorgon goes away but we have to like succeed on a couple of arcana checks or something. Yeah. While it's charging us. I think that would be the way. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really cool. That creates a purpose to stay in a certain spot and yeah. make yourself vulnerable, make someone vulnerable to charging. I think that's the move. Yeah. yeah. That you have to, that like you come in just as the, the first part of the ritual is done. The thing is summoned and you have to stay in a certain area to try to undo this. There some, one of your party has to stay in this area to undo this thing while this mounted cultist is charging you. <laughs> I think that's a really cool, that's really, that's a, that's a really tight little combat piece. Cool. Those are our proposals for different encounters. So each of those has an interesting mechanic that, that creates a interesting challenge. Uh, do we want to talk about how those might help with story beats, I guess, like, or, or what that would, you know, we, we've come up with that in, in isolation, right? So, um, what is, what is the right way to think about how these might tie into an, an already existing story? Like what, what role they would play? Yeah. Uh, just cause we've been talking about mine. I'll start like the Lamia one feels like either, you're trying to win favor in the town. Like if you're trying to like connect with people in the town and there's this big wedding happening and you've been invited or something like that. And you, you want this family to think well of you and your party or something like that. Maybe they, maybe you know that they are the people you need to like, they're the ones you have to persuade to let you like go into the local ruins cause they own it or uh, they have a they have an artifact you really want or something like that. That's like part of their family heirloom thing. Um, and so there's like some reason that that your relationship to the family is important. That yeah. them asking you for this thing is really important. That you get it right. Or conversely, it's a great way of introducing an NPC because once you and like that would have a certain connection to the party because once you save him, it's going to be uh, something that's a really. He's like, he'll, it'll be clear why he's important to people as well. Yeah. If we want to save him, I might give him more HP so that Gaius doesn't kill him outright. True, true, we true. have to make yeah. death saves yeah. so that it feels, doesn't feel like really cruel. Yeah. Um, but also you just have to make the decision, like just, he doesn't actually try to fight much. Like he just never undoes the Gaius. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm a pacifist or else I die. <laughs> um, the, uh, it's also interesting because there are a lot of people. It would be meaningful if there were like, oh, we already know these people, though, like the community. It doesn't have to be like a noble thing. It can be also like, you know, like a little like the tavern, the local tavern with like where everyone usually gathers Tuesday nights for contra dancing. And then this thing happens. You're like, no, not on my turf. And that might be a really satisfying um, uh satisfying to like save save the your little like tavern yeah i feel like the cult fanatic one is pretty you know it's kind of opening adventure stuff find out about a local cult doing something bad with gorgons anyway how about the the wizard tower uh that feels that feels pretty like like early on uh like like introducing a like a character or world um I can imagine 
or like introducing an artifact to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, um, depending, like if you have a, a really high magic group, like if they're, if you have a bunch of casters, then you go like, Oh, like you're, you're a, you're a big brother to this kid who's a prodigy or whatever. Like, you know, your, your, your group is supposed to like mentor him, but he's like hard to work with. Or yeah, he's, yeah. And so, so like, it's a, a way of like connecting with him, helping him out or, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's like a way of, it's a way of being a good example of like how to, you know, so like, or you're supposed to protect him. Maybe he's just a person you've all been hired to like help him move or something. I don't know. Uh, conversely, if your group doesn't have a bunch of casters, it's a really good way, like a really good in-world way to align a caster NPC with your party. You know, if you like do this favor for him, then down the line, you have someone you can take your you know, identify identifies stuff, to yeah. and like, you know, who will, who can help you out with like, oh, we need some scrolls or, yeah, you know, can you, could you, and even then, uh, you know, if you start low enough, like even stick them, you know, have them stick around for a lot of the campaign and toward the end be like, Hey, we need like to teleport somewhere. Like, yeah. I think that's that's a that's a really great idea because it feels like a relatively low stakes situation that would work really well to like create a really strong relationship to a person because you get to know their internal world immediately too, and so then there's a really strong bond to this NPC who has like who then you just feel sort of like entangled into their their past uh, and um, and in a way that isn't like. Like there's no, there's, there's, it's not like an, an evil necessarily. It's they're like, they, they are, they're just sort of like little poltergeists. You're interacting with objects. Yeah. And so there's no, there's not, there's not like a moral stake too. It's like, it's a quick quest. They're relatively easy to solve. It's an interesting, memorable thing that then you feel like, ah, yes, it's about the person. It's about like the, the return to it. That's interesting. Cool. I was just about to say though, you could also, and if, if this is your, style as a DM, you know, keep this magic user in the world and then ultimately have them, you know, become the bad guy, like through some kind of like, I don't know, they go off the rails or betrayal yeah. or, you know, one of those, like, I, I never thought it would have been you. And they go, yes, exactly. Like twist that emotional knife. Yeah. Especially cause you already know a little bit about their like childhood fears or something. Right. Like and you feel sorry for them. It's like, but that's actually that was how they get you. Cause they're yeah. a sociopath <laughs> or they've been, you know, called a prodigy their whole life and have been put under unfair pressures or, you know, like you, you could, right. They don't yeah. have to be That's right. bad gifted programs. Oh, let's not get into it. Well, too real, <laughs> too real. <laughs> All right. Um, so Chuck, uh, yours, the, the boggle are just manifestations of their undiagnosed ADHD. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, you have, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you had a very good already hook. You've been hired to go kill this undead thing, right? <laughs> Vincent is still dying over here. He's still yeah. It's, um, I was trying to think of mine. Both of yours feel very good in a, um, not good, but like feel like you could very like opening campaign mm -hmm. kind of, um, first hook. Yeah. Kind of thing. Whereas like mine definitely feels more, I, mean, I guess it could be first hook but feels kind of more fetch questy, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe not even like an undead, but like maybe, maybe you're hunting down the MacGuffin yeah. and whoever had the MacGuffin goes into the, yeah. into the yeah. forest into and the now forest. you, or you're here. I mean, classic, classic situation, uh, of, of PCs of like the third to seventh level is that they'll want to like craft a web, a magic thing. And like, maybe this undead right. thing will make a perfect, if you can get one of his bones, you can make a dagger of, you know, of what's the one that stops you from healing or something like that. Like stops people from healing vicious the red wizards blade. No, no, no. That's the one that if it kills you, you can't come I back. But, but, but there, there's vicious. I think it is viciousness. Yeah. Like, you know, so it's like, oh, like, oh, the component is this, you know, a bone of this undead, an undead creature. Oh, you know, one that's in this forest right over here. And then you go and it's already been like, you have to right. harvest it while it's still eh, undead rather than dead, dead. And it's dead, dead when you get there. Right. Complication. Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels easy enough to slot in that, but it doesn't feel like my encounter doesn't necessarily feel like main campaign draw the same way the two of yours could. But, but I also think, Paul, you and I had talked about this recently, where it's like, I feel like lately I've been really wanting to play a like much more episodic 
like Indiana Jones, you're just collecting artifacts. It belongs in a museum. Right. And which makes sense of why, why I'm like, oh, you like have to go get this one thing and it doesn't, there's no big storyline other than your, this kind of like early 20th century, like we're going and doing archaeological expeditions because the museum of natural history is paying us $10,000 to go, go clear out a Egyptian pyramid. I mean, that is how dungeons and dragons developed. Like you go into the dungeon, you get the, the treasure, you fight the monsters to do it. So if we have a little fetch quest, uh, that would work well, um, what is a way that in telling the story, you like get characters to do something like that? Or like, do you recognize like, aha, this is a moment where the characters in their own narrative and role playing have decided that they want something, I guess, in order to make that happen. And we'll just like, let's make a little fetch quest or, mm-hmm. um, how do, how do we slot this into an existing yeah. campaign? Well, uh, I'm, I've recently become a big fan of using like rivals of the party. So like with yours, it could be like you, you have, you make it clear over the previous things that have happened that like there's the party has a rival, like somebody who's working against them and they really want the circlet that this undead thing has. Right. And so you beat them to it. Right. Or, or, or something like that. Right. So rivals are one really great way to like make the players be like, well, they want to do it. So I'm going to do it first. Um, that's one lever to like encourage player action. There are many, um, I guess it figure it, the first thing is like, what do the characters currently care about? Yeah. Yeah. Connecting it to like either their backstory or what they're looking for right now is usually the simplest way. Um, I mean, who doesn't want to save the blacksmith's daughter, right? I think it also comes down to like what sort of players you have, because like what we're about to do is if we're going to pick one of these and we're going to play it and we're just going to assume that the players want to do the thing that is being put in front of them. Yeah. Because what is actually wants is that, sorry, the characters want to do it because the players want to fight some monsters. And so they're going to make their characters want to do whatever it is that's being put in front of them. And I think then you get some players who are like, I'm not going to do something unless my character wants to do it. It's like, okay, how do we make stinks? And I don't actually tell you instead of like, Oh yeah, cool. Okay. This makes sense in the story. Like, sure, whatever. This is the next, like, this is the next episode. So we'll figure out why we want to do that. Well, to your point about how my thing feels very like original D and D it's like, that's, yeah, it used to just be you're going to the dungeon because the dungeon has treasure and the only way to level up is to get treasure. Yeah, yeah. And to get the treasure, you have to fight the monsters because they're between you and the treasure. Which, so I think while that is a really good lever for the, the money equals experience thing, thinking about like, okay, what do they need to advance? Are they trying to level up? Right. Do they need a magic item? We've mentioned MacGuffins again, like... Because players will, the, the game is built with this, like, you go 1 to 20, and so everything should feel like it somehow contributes to that, right? And if that's because, like, oh, this quest with the Lamia will mean, like, you can get, you're going to get into the guild that you have to get in because you've saved the guild master's daughter or son from this marriage, right? Great. It's that, you know, like, that, it has to feel like, oh, because I did this, opens up the next thing that helps me do the next thing I need to do, yeah. whether that's leveling up or to the next quest. And so figuring out what do they want and how does this thing do it exactly? Great. That's what I do. D&D, the illusion of choice. <laughs> yes. That's true. I jump out the window. You land where I needed you to go. <laughs> There's a passing hay cart and hay, it's being driven by a teamster who's part of the local union that you need to do this job for. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Okay. Um, that, that feels like, that feels like the only real way to, to answer the question is just like, whatever they want, you, you take this thing and you put it in the encounter. Um, so cool. Which one do we want to do? You what know, are we feeling? I'm oh, sorry. Go on, Vincent. Next time we do something like this, it would be it, like, it would be funny to like, to create a, I don't know what to say, create like a, on a bunch of index cards, the thing that you need in, okay, we're like, we need, they need to now go get a, an ingredient or they need to bond to an NPC or they need to whatever, like whatever task we have as a DM, we shuffle them, we make these encounters and then we have to come up how to tie in that encounter to the thing that we're, that we're talking about. Like, like how, so, you know, what if, what if we needed to introduce an NPC in Chuck's version? Like that was the one that we didn't suggest. Like, how would we do that? We, I don't know. The undead person is actually, 
a friendly person. He's actually not fully undead or like, or I don't know, so it's like whatever it is. So it would be a funny, it would be a fun like task to, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, which Obviously one of these? you encounter an anthropologist who's studying the forest marauders. No, you, you encounter an anthropologist who is a forest marauder who's excited to go see about your culture. Oh, oh there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's pretty funny. <laughs> so. <laughs> like a, just one forest marauder dressed like a regular commoner. He's like, no, no, but no, still just you. as big. Yeah. <laughs> I like he's spent years like researching people and it's like so fascinated with makes his own clothes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, which one do we want to do? I, I'm most interested in either the, uh, the cult writing, the, uh, the, the cult writer or the, or the forest marauder the ones that interest me. I don't have strong feelings about running versus playing. Okay. Which, which encounter do you think is the spiciest for you? I think probably the cult fanatic in the Gorgon, just cause I'm like thinking about running a swarm and like it being kind of sloggy. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's true. And I, I, yeah, it could be, there's like other questions to figure out. It's like, how far, how long are we running? How far do we, how much go? Yeah. With the, with right. the, yeah. Which is, it's a cool swarm, I think. But I, yeah, I, I really love that interaction though. I think yeah. like the, it's, it's so simple and clear and has a lot of flexibility if you were actually designing something around it. But I, I, I just, yeah, it feels really, it feels like a tight encounter. It does. Idea. Yeah. Um, well, sounds like we're going. So well, stick around for when I start a homebrew game. Yeah, any day. JK. Um, Modules for life. <laughs> Although I do want to say that there's this, uh, that I almost ran a campaign, not ran, was part of a campaign that was, it was a, it was a space campaign, but there were, uh, which is important for the word, uh, we're all grave robbers of some sort. Like we were like mercenary grave robbers that were going to dead planets and like trying to like re like steal things from these old civilizations. That's cool. And so the word that we developed for it was Xeno Arco Archaeoclepti, um, steal, like stealing yeah. alien grave robbing, which was so cool. And I really wish that started because yeah. Who's, who was running this? Uh, my cousin Jordan, who's ah. also a linguist and he's has some really great ideas. So there we go. Well, it sounds like we're going to do the cult fanatic riding the Gorgon. Uh, and so uh, if you want to hear us play out that encounter, you can check it out over on our Patreon. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming to this off watch chatter as we talk about encounters, like how to write them, how to come up with ideas and brainstorm them and how to make them fun and engaging, even, you know, without a map with just our words. Um, and I, uh, in the future, as you know, we've done talking about like building the world with Christian. We've talked with, or we talked with Joe about building the world. We talked with Christian about building random encounter tables. Now we've made an encounter. I guess the next one of these will have to be uh, like building a one shot, I guess, because that feels like you put a couple of these together, you get a one shot. So that's right. Know, there's a natural progression there. So subscribe. So you, uh, so you hear about that. Um, and uh, with that, we got to head up back above decks before we then go back below decks to drink absinthe on the Patreon feed. So farewell. <laughs> I don't have a good sign off. <laughs> I have no, I don't know what the bit is. See you next time. <laughs> ahoo ahoy. Ahoo ahoy. Ahoo ahoy. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Off Watch Chatter. We do go over into the Patreon and we do play the encounter that we just described creating uh, with the Gorgon and the Cult Fanatic. So if you are interested in hearing how that plays out, you can head over there. Also on the Patreon, I'm going to very soon get a uh, like a little write-up of this uh, encounter that we built and a couple of different options to increase the difficulty. So if you're interested in uh, having heard that encounter and you want to run it for yourself, you can hop over to the Patreon, support us for a month, and you'd be able to get that little write-up. That'll be available sometime within the next week. So uh, thank you again so much for joining and hearing sort of the thought process that goes into building encounters. I hope that's really helpful for you running encounters at your table. Uh, we're so grateful for everyone who subscribes to the show. Thank you so much. Uh, and if you also want to be one of those people, all you got to do is click subscribe in your favorite podcast app. It means a lot. Also, if you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts, you can leave a review and that'll help people find the show. So 
thanks already. If you're interested in our Patreon, it's over at patreon.com forward slash LaPropos. We got lots of fun extra bonus content there uh, this month, which is July of 2023. Claire and I are going to be streaming Baldur's Gate 2 as we get hyped for Baldur's Gate 3, which is coming out at the end of the summer. Uh, And lots of other fun stuff, too. So thanks again so much for your support. This has been Off Watch Chatter. This is Paul heading back on to watch. See ya. This has been Mean and Imply Productions. I'm mean. And I'm Imply. Well, you're pretty mean too. What are you implying?